Oh, Lord, we give ourselves away to you in marriage. We, we enter into a marriage covenant with Jesus, our bridegroom. We willingly do that. And, Lord, I just lift up this congregation. I lift up the word that you've placed in my heart, that it would be something that is meaningful for your people. Oh, Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to exalt you, to glorify your name, to speak publicly about your goodness, about what a redeemer you are, a blessed redeemer you are, that you have redeemed us from the pit. You have pulled us out from death and put us on a solid rock. You've given us life, oh God, and we are your bride. Even the men among us, we are collectively as a body, we are your bride. Lord, may it be that you thresh us and purify us so that we may be presented before you, pure and spotless, like a virgin before you, O God, a virgin bride. Oh Lord, this is our message for today. Oh Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Amen. And thank you to Brother James. Thank you to Brother Ronnie. And uh, amen. And great to see Rodney and Valerie today again. You probably thought you were coming to catch Pastor Marcus, but end of the month, end of the month is always either Ronnie or me. So, (laughs) well, you're catching part two because you were here for part one. So may the Lord be praised. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Um. I was here two months ago, and this is part two of that message. Part one was explaining to you about the one new mankind. Is anybody, does anybody remember that teaching? You do. Well, one person does. Amen. <laughs> okay, I'll ask one more time. Is there anybody else in the house who happens to remember about the one new mankind? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Oh, Ruby, you raised your hand. The one new mankind is an idea that comes from Ephesians 2. We'll just review a teeny bit before we move on. We're going to learn about Jesus in a new way today. How many of you in this room have ever heard of Jesus and learned about him as our kinsman redeemer? Oh, many. Okay. Well, those of you who have heard it, you're going to hear it again. (laughs) Hopefully you'll hear something you didn't already know. Those of you who don't know about Jesus as our kinsman redeemer, you're in for a wonderful treat. We learn about it in the book of Ruth, so we're going to study the book of Ruth today. But before we do that, we're just going to talk about the reason that I'm doing this teaching, and that is because I want you to know about this idea of the one new mankind. In your translation, it may say the one new man or the one new humanity, but it's basically a new species of mankind that the Lord has created through his blood on the cross. And if we go to Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22, we can read that Paul said there, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now we're talking about a building being built here. Paul's talking about a certain kind of a building that he's building in the spirit. And Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole building, do we have the next slide? In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord 
in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we are being built together into a dwelling in the Spirit. And who it is that he's talking about in this, and those of you who were here last two months ago, you know, that it's the two people groups, the Jew and the Gentile. That was such a big surprise back in the first century that the Gentiles were going to be included in the blessing of God. But when these two groups, the Jew and the Gentile, come together in unity at the foot of the cross of Christ Jesus, Jesus does away with our enmity. And he does away with it on the horizontal plane that we're no longer enemies of one another. Jews and Gentiles are no longer enemies. We love one another. But he also does it on the vertical axis that we Jews and Gentiles together are equally Sinners, equally saved by grace, equally at the foot of the cross. Therefore, our enmity with God is also abolished. So we have a two-way abolishing of our enmity, and we become a spiritual building together. It was always God's plan that Jew and Gentile would be equally blessed with the salvation that's found in Christ Jesus. As we read in Genesis 12.3, where it says, and in you, that's Abraham, God's talking to Abraham, in you, Abraham, this is the promise, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this is, as a Jewish believer in Jesus, I have a job. Here's my job as a Jewish believer in Jesus. My job is to be a witness to the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. Because if God was unfaithful to the Jew, you Gentiles have no reason to imagine that he'll be faithful to you. But we know that God keeps his word. So his promises, you see them when you see Jewish people walking the earth. There's no reason why there should be Jews walking the earth anymore. I don't see Hittites. I don't see Jebusites. But I see Israelites. And the fact that God has been faithful to the Jew is an encouragement to you that God will be faithful to you as well. So that's my purpose as a Jew, and that's part of the reason why I come before you, is to give you that encouragement of God's faithfulness. He keeps his word. So we find that if you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, throughout the Bible you see teaching pictures of God's redemptive love for humanity. You see it all over the place. But the picture, the teaching picture that we're going to look at today is in the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, we dip back to Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, where we see, just you can just go in the order that I have them. Um, so go back to the Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. We see a rule, a law that God developed To feed the poor and the stranger. Stranger means Gentile. Gentiles who come into Israelite territory. So this rule says, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Next slide. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them... For the needy, this is their welfare system back then. And for the stranger, the stranger is the Gentile. 
I am the Lord your God. Which brings us to Ruth, because Ruth was a stranger who came and was able to make use of this law, as we're going to find in the book of Ruth, which takes place during the barley harvest. Ruth is a beautiful love story between a Jew and a Gentile who come together in this building we are talking about, this one new mankind. In the book of Ruth, this stranger, Ruth, comes to Bethlehem from the land of Moab with her mother-in-law. So some of you might not know the story. Naomi is a Jewish woman. She leaves Bethlehem with her husband and her two sons because of a famine. She goes away. They were living in Bethlehem. She goes to Moab. Her two sons marry. First, oh, first her husband dies. Then her two sons marry two Moabite women. And then those sons both die. So we find that Naomi has become very discouraged and disillusioned with God because of this bitter road that she's had to hoe. She feels very bitterly. In fact, we'll talk a lot about names today. Naomi is a name that means pleasant, but she tells everybody, don't even call me Naomi anymore because I don't feel pleasant. I feel bitter, so call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She is so discouraged that she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their people and to their gods. That's how little faith she has in her own god. One daughter-in-law takes Naomi's advice. That's Orpah. And the name Orpah means back of the neck. So Orpah turns the back of her neck to her mother-in-law and heads back home. The other daughter-in-law is Ruth. And Ruth means friendship. And Ruth is the friend who clings to her mother-in-law. And here's what she says to her in Ruth 1. 16 and 17, she says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, that's where I want to die. That's where I want to be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and worse, if Anything but death separates me from you. This girl is dedicated. This is one dedicated daughter-in-law. But not just dedicated to her mother-in-law, but dedicated to her mother-in-law's God. So when we talk about gleaning from the barley harvest, and this I made this point two months ago, I'll make it again. Ruth started gleaning Before they ever got to Bethlehem, she was gleaning from whatever teachings she was getting from Naomi and her husband and Naomi's sons. Because she must have learned something about the God of Israel that made her so desire to be a part of God's kingdom. So she was gleaning long before she gleaned barley. She was spiritually gleaning. She was determined to become part of the family of God. So they come back to Bethlehem. Again, we have a wonderful name because Bethlehem is the town where Jesus was born. And Bethlehem means house 
of bread. And spiritually, we can understand that it's the house of bread because the living bread was born there. So this is a picture of being with Jesus. She gets involved with a field where she starts to glean. It just so happens, as God would have it, that that field belongs to Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer of Naomi's family. And we'll talk about what that means. Um, In fact, we can talk about it right now. The rule under the old Levitical law was to protect widows and Yeah, to protect them, basically, because widows didn't have much to go on. If their husband died, they were, they were out, they were not, there's nobody to care for them. So there was a law that said that if a husband died, his brother was obligated by what we call leveret law to marry the widow and give her a child to continue the family line of the husband that died. The surviving brother had an obligation to marry his brother's widow and give her a child so that she would not, their family line would not be obliterated. This man who does the marrying, the brother, is called the kinsman redeemer. He's kinsman because he's family. He's redeemer because he redeems the family from being erased from history. He redeems the family line. He redeems the property of the deceased, including the wife, from being erased so that the family line is preserved. And we read about that in Deuteronomy 25.5 where it says, When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall have relations with her and take her to himself as his wife to perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Uh, There's more to that, right? Is that it? Okay, so that his... Okay, maybe I didn't... Okay, her husband's brother shall go and take for himself and perform the duties. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And those of you who may remember a scene where Jesus is being interrogated by the Sadducees about the woman who had seven brothers each marrying each one in succession, and they're asking him, well, who's in the, in the resurrection? Whose wife shall she be? Remember that scene? That's in reference to this law. Of course, Jesus corrects the Sadducees and tells them, you don't know what you're talking about. The resurrection. You don't even believe in the resurrection. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So Ruth was a widow and a stranger, and she and Naomi came back, and it was the time of the barley harvest, and she went to glean in the fields. And the field that she was welcomed into was, was the property of a man named Boaz, who just happened to be, as God would have it, Ruth's kinsman redeemer so Boaz heard about Ruth because her reputation went ahead of her about how loyal she was and how dedicated she was in self-sacrificing in caring for her mother-in-law she worked hard she didn't run after the young men and he showed her blessing and favor so what we see is that Naomi coaches Ruth 
and tells her, this guy is our kinsman redeemer. He needs to marry you. I need to take care of you. This is one way I can do it. You need to go, and she advises her. So let's read that passage in Ruth 3, verses 1 through 11. Then her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, meaning Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may go well with you? Now then, is Boaz not our relative with whose young women you were? And just to tell you, it's a very Jewish thing to say things in questions, not in statements. She doesn't say, now then, Boaz is our relative. Jews always make it into a question. Now then, is Boaz not our relative with whose young women you were? Behold, he is winnowing barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes. Get that lipstick on. Here, put on your nice shoes. Here's a cool pair of earrings that you need to wear. Oh, how about some uh, Ralph Lauren perfume to go behind your ear and go down to the threshing floor, but do not reveal yourself to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall take notice of the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down then he will tell you what you should do. In other words, if you go do that, he's going to know what that means. He's going to know what it means when you uncover his feet. And uh, she said to her, all that you say, I will do. No problem, I'm going to do it. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of the grain. Oops, I didn't finish that. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Oh, my goodness. So he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. Your slave. Now you need to know they've already had a lot of interactions by now. He's seen her gleaning. He's invited her to glean. He knows who she is. I am Ruth, your slave. Now she tells him, spread your garment over your slave, for you are a redeemer. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men whether poor or rich. So we can imagine that Boaz is a little older. So now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you whatever you say, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. So let's just talk about that little scene, because you might not understand what it means. We wouldn't do that today. When Ruth, when Ruth went and uncovered his feet, she was poking him. She was saying, step up. You've got a job to do, buddy. You've got a responsibility. You're my redeemer. If you don't marry me, you're falling. You're a slacker. You're falling short of your duties. That's what it meant. 
he took the hint. He put his garment over her. And that's what a husband does for a wife. He puts his mantle around her and says, I will protect you and care for you. You are now my, my betrothed, my beloved. So he got the message and he was willing to do it. Maybe he felt that because she was so young and beautiful, he never dreamed that an older fellow would be desirable to her. So that he was so delighted <laughs> when she wanted him. She made it clear, you're the man for me. So what do we have here? We have um, a kinsman redeemer. Oh, but there's a problem in the story. The problem is that there's another kinsman redeemer who's even more closely related than Boaz. What are we going to do about that? What should we do about that? Well, Boaz goes to the city gate, meets with the elders, waits for the gentleman who's the closer relative to come along and says, oh, you know, you've got a great opportunity here to redeem Naomi and Ruth's uh, property because you're the closest kinsman redeemer. Are you going to do it? The guy says, yeah, sure. And Boaz says, and while you're at it, you're going to have to marry Ruth as well and give her a child. And then the man who's the closer relative thinks about his own inheritance and his own children and their property and he's like wait a minute no no that's that's more than I can deal with that's too much for me no thank you you can have it you can have her you can have the property that was what was needed to be done but how do we solemnize that agreement well we solemnize it in a very strange way in Deuteronomy 25 verses 7 and 9 We read the law regarding that. It says, if the man does not desire to take his brother's widow, God says, then his brother's widow shall come up to him in the sight of the elders, which he did at the city gate, and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall declare, this is what is done to the man who doesn't step up and do what what a man is supposed to do around here. So, Ruth doesn't spit in his face. She's not even present. It's the men taking care of the business between them. So there's no spitting. There's no, you know, berating him for not fulfilling his duties. It just sticks with the sandal part of it. So the guy gives the sandal. And that is the way that they solemnize or sign the contract. And sure enough, Boaz and Ruth, Mary, and they are so blessed. And what makes this especially wonderful as, as a love story is that they are a one new mankind couple. They are Jew and Gentile, and they're both worshiping the same God. And the son that they make out of their union is Obed, and the name Obed means worshiper. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of King David. King David is the forefather of... Nice and loud. King David is the forefather of Jesus. Of Jesus. So we're talking about a family line that includes 
a Gentile woman, a Moabite of all people. And that's what the One New Mankind is about. It's the knitting together of the Jew and the Gentile in love, in mutual forgiveness, mutual forbearance, mutual patience and love and concern and consideration. And we see this Obed, this worshiper, uh, mentioned in, in the two lineages. There's two lineages in the New Testament, one in the third chapter of Luke and one in the first chapter of Matthew. And Obed is mentioned in both. And we'll just read one of them, Matthew 1, 5, and 6. Salmon, that was the dad of Boaz by Rahav. Rahav is another uh, Gentile. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, the Gentile, and Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David the king. So this is, this is really um, important enough to Matthew and to Luke to mention these people by name in the lineages of the Messiah. Okay, so now we've got a beautiful picture of the kinsman redeemer in Boaz. Now let's look at how that kinsman redeemer reflects and foreshadows what we see in Jesus, okay? We know that Ruth used to be a stranger and she was outside of Bethlehem. So we can say spiritually she was outside not only of the commonwealth of Israel, but she was not part of the family of God that worshipped the God of Israel, the God that we worship. And when we are in our sin... We are just like Ruth. We are outside the commonwealth of the family of God. We are not in that house of bread, the living bread's house, Bethlehem. We're outside of it. We're in a famine, in an exile, far from God. We're actually enemies of God. But when Ruth, by her love for God, comes near, she comes and willingly steps into that house of bread, the house of the living bread, Bethlehem, she comes into the blessing of God, the blessing that God has for his people. Jesus, like Boaz did, Jesus redeems us from our position outside his blessing and makes us his bride, just like Boaz made Ruth his bride, and we become part of God's family And we come into his lineage. We are now part of the family line of the of the Christ, the Messiah. I have, uh, I think, six, one, two, three, four, five, six points um, of what Boaz, the kinsman redeemer and Jesus give us. So we see, number one, gracious abundance. Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who owns the earth and the fullness thereof? God does. And we see that Boaz was the one who owned the field. The portion of the field belonging to Boaz, Ruth says. Number two, gracious provision. Boaz spoke to Ruth. While she was in the fields gleaning, and he said to her, Whenever you're thirsty, you come and you drink. Come here that you may eat. And we read, She ate and was satisfied. And just like Boaz cared for Ruth and provided for her needs, Jesus provides for us and cares for our needs. 
3, gracious blessing. We read that wherever Boaz went, he was always blessing people. And God blesses us continually. 4, gracious protection. We find that Boaz tells Ruth when she's going into the fields. Imagine a woman alone in these fields with a bunch of reapers. They were very vulnerable. They could be violated. They could be misused if someone didn't look out for them. But Boaz said, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And he said to the servants, he said, do not insult her. So this is a protector. And just as Boaz protected Ruth, are we protected by God? Yes, we are. Okay, number five, acknowledgement. We have a God who sees us. He sees. Sometimes that's very shameful. I hate it when he sees some of my thoughts. He sees it all. But he also sees when we try and we try to do good. He sees us. Boaz saw Ruth. We read, all that you have done has been fully reported to me. In other words, her reputation was so sterling about the way that she had behaved, conducted herself, taken care of her mother-in-law. And Boaz saw that just the same way that God sees us. And finally, gracious comfort. Because we read, Ruth says to Boaz, you have comforted me. And what do we know about the Holy Spirit of God that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter? So how else can we complete this picture of Boaz, kinsman, redeemer, and Jesus? Well, let's look for a moment at the threshing floor. What is the threshing floor? The threshing floor is the place where Ruth and Boaz made their agreement to marry where she uncovered his feet and he laid his cloak over her. That was done at the threshing floor. What happens at a threshing floor? The grain is separated from the chaff. The holy is separated from the profane. In spiritual terms, you're sifted. You're cleaned out. Your sin is cleared from you. And we know that the blood of Jesus cleans the sin from us. When we say, Jesus I believe in you. This is what I've done. And he says, I embrace you, my child, and I will wipe your sin away. That is a clearing away of the chaff, of that which is not holy. And that's what took place at that threshing floor. And that is also what takes place in our spirits as we are being sanctified and made more and more every day into the likeness of Jesus. And finally... Jesus becomes a husband to us as Boaz became a husband to Ruth. Let's read what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.2. He tells the Corinthian church, I betrothed you guys. Did I do the wrong one? Oh, I betrothed you. Just, Just part two here where it says, I betrothed you. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, one husband, Jesus, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In other words, you need to be threshed. The chaff needs to be removed. You're learning the life of the holy, the holy walk 
the holy Christian walk so that you can be presented as a pure virgin to Christ. And that's how Jesus is also like Boaz, or Boaz is more, is more proper to say Boaz is like Jesus. Jesus being our kinsman redeemer. So that brings us back to the one new mankind, because that's that building together of the Jew and the Gentile that we see in Ruth and Boaz that become the family of Christ because there was a kinsman redeemer who stepped forward and said, I will take responsibility for the death that has occurred to continue the family line, only this time it's my family line, Jesus' family line. He fulfills his obligation to redeem. And his obligation, it goes back, you don't have to bring it up, but it goes back to that Genesis 12:3. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is what we mean when we say that God is true to his word. He made a promise to Abraham How many, what are we talking, 3,000 years, more than that, 4,000, 5,000, 4,800 years ago. That's a long time to keep a promise. But he keeps his promise. He keeps his word. He will be our kinsman redeemer. He will be sure that we are not left out in Moab, outside of the house of bread. He will embrace us in and bring us into his house so that we can be in the family of the living bread. So I've picked out two scriptures about redeemers, and this is how we're going to end it today. We're going to end with prayer, using these two scriptures to think about and pray about what it means to be redeemed. Redeem is a word that means to be bought back. Slaves are redeemed. They're bought back out of slavery into freedom. That's what we were. We were slaves to sin. And the redemption that Jesus provided for us was buying us back to freedom in him. Out of slavery into freedom. So we'll start with 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were not, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, like I didn't go buy you at the auction house with money, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But how, how, did I re, how did Christ redeem you? Christ redeemed you with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ is what redeems us. And then we're going to read from Job. Because Job, I don't know if you guys know that song. I know my Redeemer lives. That's such a beautiful song. And it comes from this scripture. Oh, that my words. And let's just do this as a prayer together. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were recorded in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Yet as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God, whom I 
on my part shall behold for myself and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. Lord, we know that our Redeemer lives. We know that our Redeemer lives. We know that you have chosen to make us your kin. We are your brothers and sisters. You've decided that we can be your co-heirs. We are your kin and you are our kinsman, Redeemer. Oh God, what a beautiful picture you've given us in the book of Ruth. We thank you so much that you have embraced Jew and Gentile and knit us together with hearts knit together to be unified at the foot of the cross, spirit-filled in one spirit, by one blood, the blood of Jesus, that we are unified and made into a building whose cornerstone is Christ Jesus, a building fit together in the spirit to glorify you, to exalt you, that your name would be exalted, O God. We do this together as Jew and Gentile, as one new mankind, one new humanity, one new man. We could only achieve this by your work and by your grace and by your blood. We thank you so much for bringing us out of the exile of Moab, for bringing us from being strangers and aliens to being brought near to you, brought near and into your commonwealth, citizenship in your kingdom, O God. Nothing is more precious to us, and we bless you with our souls for this precious gift. Amen.